On today's Trouble with the Snap, we will be breaking down a pretty exciting week three uh, before wrapping up with another version of our draft. This time it will be Birds. And not to mention, we have our very first episode featuring a guest. So it'll be very exciting. We hope you enjoy it. Roll the intro. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS. Michigan State's Dalen Watts takes in and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! All right, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of Trouble with the Snap. As always, I am well joined by five-star scholar and an absolute man himself, Colton Deutsch. Colton, how are we doing? Uh, we're doing all right. Finance test did not go as planned. All right. Well, before we jump into that, I must introduce the very first guest in our show's history. He is an absolute legend down in San Antonio playing baseball for the UTSA Roadrunners. Meet, meet, baby. Uh, everyone, please welcome James Towsig. James, how we doing, boss? Doing good, doing good. Ready to, you know, talk about some football, talk about my runners. Um, just excited to, to be on the pod. For sure. Well, let's do it. Um well, first off, before we jump into football, uh, Colton, you said you just got absolutely railroaded by a finance test. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't expected to go well, but um, that was not a fire drill. That was the real thing right there. And um, it could not have gone worse. Man, well, I'm it's sorry. One of those, it's one of those, like, you know when the SEC does that thing where week 11 or whatever, they just play a bunch of bad teams. It's like Alabama versus, like, Northwestern State. I was, I was Northwestern State. Man. You you weren't uh, South Florida from this past weekend. Believe me, if I put up a fight like South Florida, I would be I'd be in a much better mood. But we're here talking ball with my colleague and a legend in James Tossig, Mr. Hashtag Toss Bomb himself. All Toss right, well, uh, James, how uh, how's how how have you been? How's school going for you? How's baseball? Yeah, it's been good. Um, you know was was really excited going into this utsa football season um not not the start we've wanted uh a disappointing letdown this weekend uh against army um so yeah baseball's been good football not so much all right um yeah well let's hop into it uh we're gonna break down an exciting week three but james do you have any initial thoughts on the whole season so far not just for utsa just overall uh, yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing I've noticed so far is there's there's really no set of teams that seem to be uh, above everyone else. Um, it kind of seems like there's a group of 10 or 12 that, that all could be in, in the college football playoff right now. Um, but, but I don't have any, any top four in any particular order uh, that look like they deserve a spot uh, at this current point in the season. I think the field's pretty stacked, ranging from Georgia all the way down to like, you know, an Oregon or a Washington. Um, but yeah, um, I think I think mid-major schools, smaller schools have started to take over. You know, the Colorado takeover, uh, Deion Sanders, all that. Um, it's just been cool to see some smaller smaller teams come to prominence again, uh, and maybe put teams like Georgia and Alabama uh, up up for a fight this season. 
Yeah, I'm definitely sure. with you there. I mean, this is this already looks like a possibly a pretty wild season, and even pretty much the a lot of the teams in the top five didn't even look good last weekend. So it could be a wild year. All right, so let's just jump into it. In honor of James and his UTSA Roadrunners, I hate to do it to you, but we'll start off there. Um, you know what, James? Uh, tell me what you saw in this game first, boss. Yeah, um, it was a really a really disappointing game uh, to open up um, this weekend on Friday night. Um, I had high expectations. Uh, UTSA was favored pretty heavily in this game, uh, even with their starting quarterback, Frank Harris, being ruled out uh, a couple hours before kickoff. Um yeah, I mean, Army completely switched their offense this year. Uh, they moved to about 93% shotgun. Um, and, I mean, they just absolutely dominated us in every facet of the game, special teams, offense, defense. Um, the first two drives of the game, they were 0 for 4 on passes uh, and ran the ball 32 times uh, and scored touchdowns on both drives, 75-plus um, yard drives. Uh, they dominated. Uh, we couldn't tackle. Um, every time we got pressure uh, – we just had arm tackles and they, and they broke through. Uh, they only punted twice uh, and armies. I don't even know, know what you want to call their offense was able to score 37 points uh, against us. Uh, we couldn't get anything going. Uh, UTSA or we lost our offensive coordinator this season to Oregon. Uh, Oregon's been playing really good offense. Uh, we have not been playing really good offense. I think we were averaging 18 points a game uh, and we we're only able to score 29 uh, throwing lots of screen passes and running lots of inside zone. So I was disappointed. Uh, Army's not that good of a team. Uh, our head coach uh, after the game and his presser said there has to be a better way to make a living uh, than coaching our football team. Uh, and so that pretty much sums up our one and two record to start the season. If I'm not mistaken, oh, sorry. I was, no, you're good. I was just going to say, if I'm not mistaken, this is kind of random. I think that first drive that really set the tone that Army had, I think it lasted over 12 minutes. So by the time you UTSA touched the ball for the first time, they only had like two minutes left in the first quarter. It was actually ridiculous. Yeah, that's correct. Army possessed the ball for 44 minutes uh, in the entire football game. UTSA had it for 16. Um, so you're not going to win a lot of football games like that. Uh, Army went 12 minutes. 75 yards, scored, running the ball 17 times. UTSA converted a first down, ran the ball for a 15-yard gain, and then fumbled. Army then proceeded to get the ball back, run it 13 more times, and scored another touchdown. Um, so the game was basically over then because it was halftime uh, by the time Army was up 14 nothing. I mean, that just sounds like the perfect football game for me. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that I just eat stuff like that up, man. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I think... I feel like playing service academies is just a no-win situation because you can't really boom or talk trash to them, and it's going to be a boring game. And if you lose, and then it's awful. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of a lose-lose there playing service academies. I will say though, it was pretty impressive to see Army come. Out. You said they changed their offense to like a more like mainly dominant shotgun style offense. It was pretty impressive to still see them run the triple option out of the shotgun. Like yeah. That was, that was pretty sweet. I did see that meme this weekend where it was like shotgun triple option, like can't hurt you. It's not a real thing. And then you see Army line up with four <laughs> guys within like two yards of each other out of the shotgun. And it, it was horrifying. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy to watch and and just oh, just such a such a sad, sad sight. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, 37-21 Army in – I'm glad you mentioned Will Stein in the OC going up to Oregon and obviously Frank Harris being out. But 
you know, you also have the loss to U of H. What, what is it that you think is kind of led to the slow start for UTSA? Because we were pretty high on them. Jeff Trailer's a great coach and has won a lot of games there. So were. Is, there, is there one thing in particular that you can kind of point to, or is it kind of a mix of everything? Yeah. Um, I think, I think the talk around just everywhere has been the offense, the offensive play calling. Um, you know, we have a lot of weapons on the outside. We're a very fast team. We can, we can run the ball well on the edges. Um, you know, I don't think our line is, is our strong suit. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have a lot of playmakers and, and we, we make, we had a lot of explosive plays last year. Um, and you know, our new offensive coordinator has run a lot of 12 personnel. Uh, you know, that, that, that's two tight ends, one running back. Um, and it just hasn't been working. Um, we stopped running the RPO uh, offense. We ran a lot with Frank Harris last year uh, and took away his ability to run and get the ball out quick, which is really what made us successful. Um, and it's just turned into more of like an inside zone, um, inside zone on first down, bubble screen on second down, uh, and then try and like if we're third and six, we try and run another bubble screen. Um, we don't really take our shots down the field. Uh, defenses are running seven, eight guys in the box against us. They're not respecting the pass whatsoever. Um so, yeah, I mean, instead of being the high-tempo, high, high tempo, um, fast, explosive play offense we were last year and the year before that, uh, we really slowed things down, gone to a huddle up, um, and, and kind of tried to just bully teams more, which, which isn't our play style. We don't have the, the line and, like, the big bodies to kind of make that work. Um, so, that, in my opinion, that's the biggest problem. Um, we're, not, we're not using our, our receivers like uh, uh, Joshua Cephas and DeCorian Clark uh, to our advantage. Um, and, and just getting bullied along the offensive line. Yeah, well, hopefully Frank Harris will be back pretty soon and could definitely still see the Roadrunners making making a run in the conference, but obviously one and two is not how you wanted to start the year. No, I – um. so as Colton mentioned, he and I, coming into this season, we were we were really high on the runners. And to be fair, we still are, um, you know, but I, there's just a lot of work to be done. Obviously, what you just said, you know, you get bullied at the – offensive line that's not necessarily your your play style as we all know seeing how much success y'all have had over the what the past two seasons I would say um yeah no it feels like that that play style has has I wouldn't say completely shifted but it's definitely going in a direction that it probably shouldn't be considering what worked for y'all over the past few seasons um but no I'm still high on the runners and as long as Jeff Trailer's the head man down in San Antonio I mean I, I'll never count him out or never doubt him because he's I think he's that good of a coach yeah, I'd have to agree. He's a proven winner. Uh, we have the four, going into this weekend. We had the fourth most wins dating back to twenty twenty one in all of college football. Um, so yeah, as long as as long as Trailer's there, I think I think we can figure it out and turn things around. No, for sure. Um, all right, I, I think that's uh, enough torture for you, James. We can, we can move on to the next game. Um, so the next game we're going to talk about Georgia and South Carolina. Um, you know, the score was ended up being twenty four fourteen Georgia. Um, but I, f- I mean, I mean, obviously Georgia won by 10 points, but I feel like this is a lot more, uh, the scoreboard doesn't necessarily tell the whole story of just how the game went and how it flowed whatnot. Um, it felt like South Carolina was in that game for the majority of it until I, I guess the fourth quarter, or whatnot, uh, Colton, what did you see in that game? Yeah. So look, Georgia was in trouble in this game. It was 14 to three game Cox at the half and, especially seeing what Shane Beamer and that crew could do pulling some key upsets last year with Tennessee and Clemson. I think there definitely was some fear there for the dogs. Ultimately they did take over in the second half, but, and ended up winning 24 to 14 for Spencer Rattler into some turnovers and Brock Bowers is an absolute beast, but I don't know. We mentioned it in our preview, but 
I think the Georgia replacing offensive coordinator Todd Munkin with sorry, I'm blanking on who they replaced him. Oh, with with Mike Bobo was not a very good hire. I was not high on at the time. And as much as Stetson Bennett would get some flag from time to time, he can make all the throws. So overall, I think Munkin is much more creative than Bobo. And I think you can kind of see it early in this year. Georgia is just not very creative on offense. Not I don't know, they just don't look as, as explosive and yeah, they were definitely behind in that game. They were able to utilize Dylan Bell and Brock Bowers and able to pull away there from South Carolina, but not very encouraging for Georgia. Still early in the year, and we'll talk about it, but I don't anticipate them getting tested much considering their schedule. But, yeah, if you're a Georgia fan, you're happy to get the win, especially with how crazy this week three was. But, yeah, offensively seems pretty concerning to me. No, for sure. Um, yeah, as you just said, you know, South Carolina had 14-3 lead at half. Um you know that what well, how I think I saw a stat and said that that was the first time in a while. I I can't give you a, an exact pinpoint date on it, but it had been a long time since Georgia had trailed at the half like that. Feels like were they down um, to Missouri at the half last year? They they were actually. But no, I saw. Uh, anyways, I saw. I just saw some stat speaking about it. If I can pull it up, pull on that, I'll, so that's a year. Yeah. So. If I if I can pull it up, I'll definitely touch on it in the next episode. So I apologize for that. Um, but anyways, no, it's it's just in my opinion, it's just weird to see you know such a heavyweight over the past few seasons like Georgia, kind of look human again. I mean, you know, you remember before the whole Stetson Bennett era and one before Kirby Smart really got all the, all things firing on all cylinders these past few seasons. You know, six, seven, eight years ago, they were kind of fighting to stay in the top twenty-five. They were just kind of. I feel like a middle-of-the-road team. Well, not necessarily middle-of-the-road, but they were um, in the upper ranks of the East. But, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that they were in it or it wasn't necessarily guaranteed uh, for them to win it as much as it is now. But it's just weird to see them uh, just look human again. I mean, maybe that's just me. But, um, yeah, no, they, they, uh, they got quite a bit to figure out still in Athens, I feel like. I mean, obviously the 3-0, so that's – of course, the most ideal start to the season for them, but the way that they have handled their business in some of those games, they um, they just don't look at nowhere near as good as they did last year, which is, I mean, I, we kind of expected that with Stetson Bennett's departure, but um, it's still Georgia and it's still Kirby Smart, and they got all those weapons. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for them. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Carson Beck isn't the guy um, like Stetson Bennett was. Uh, I think that's been pretty apparent pretty early. Um, he just doesn't make the same throws. He doesn't have that same confidence uh, when the football's in his hands. Um, obviously, Georgia's going to play defense. They're going to run the ball well, uh, and that'll keep them in games all year. Um, I don't think they will get tested uh, in their side of the SEC. Um, I mean, South Carolina did give them a good run, but when Spencer Rattler's your leading rusher with 35 yards, uh, you knew that that wasn't just going to hold up uh, for the entirety of the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you still have Brock Bowers. You still have – arguably the best defense in college football. Um, that's why Georgia has to be number one in the country. Um, but I, I'm just really intrigued to see how they hold up in the SEC championship uh, and in the college football playoff if they uh, end up making it that far. Yeah, I'm with you there. Definitely weird to see Georgia look a bit human. But, hey, South Carolina's pulled some upsets in the past, so we'll see. But, yeah, Georgia, I don't see them getting tested anytime soon. No, for sure. Um, all right, let's let's kind of pivot here a little bit. Sticking with the SEC, um, this game ended up being a lot more exciting than we predicted in our last episode. Uh, we got BYU over Arkansas, 38-31. Um, 
that was a heck of a game. You know, um, shout out the Cougars at BYU. Um, Colton, what'd you see? What'd you think? Yeah, duel here between Keaton Slovis, who's been in college for 100 years, and KJ Jefferson, who's also been in college for 100 years. And this game was pretty back and forth. Some some comebacks were involved. Arkansas had control at one point, kind of gave it up. BYU, their, the touchdown they gave him the lead was an incredible one-handed catch by a dude who's probably 25 knowing it's BYU. But, yeah, BYU gets a big win here. This is a big year for Sam Pittman in Arkansas. After 2021, they – really showed some promise, probably the best year they've had in quite a while. And things kind of tapered off last year. And we'll talk about the SEC West, but this is this is not good, especially at home to a BYU team who, while undefeated, they have not looked great early in the year, only beating Sam Houston 14 to nothing. So, yeah, but big win for the Cougars. They stay undefeated, 38-31 to BYU, ahead of a big matchup this weekend, Kansas. Yeah, um, it's just it was just it was just odd. I I don't know. Um, Arkansas, you know, obviously the game was in Fayetteville. Um, you know, under Sam Pittman now, as long as he's been in Arkansas, obviously you you're expecting the Razorbacks to come out on top in this game, and clearly that wasn't the case. As you said, it was back and forth, so they were they were in the game the entire time. But you know, I feel like as long as Sam Pittman's been in Arkansas, and you know, as you mentioned, the success that they found in 2021. Um, games like this probably shouldn't be happening under him uh, anymore. Um, but no, as, as an Aggie, it, it makes me kind of excited and it makes me a little bit happy and, um, as I said, a little bit more excited looking uh, looking ahead for our matchup with Arkansas in two weeks. But, um, yeah, no, it was just, you know, shout out to BYU. I, I don't really have much else to say. Yeah, that was a really surprising game uh, in my uh, for me at least watching um, – you know, I saw a tweet for the game, Arkansas's line, offensive and defensive, compared to BYU's lines, and they had almost 30 to 40 pounds and four or five inches of height uh, at every position on the offensive line, every position on the defensive line. It seemed like Arkansas was just going to be able to play SEC bully ball uh, against this BYU team, and that just isn't what happened. Um, BYU was able to run the ball well. Um, they, they controlled the line of scrimmage well, and, and they were able to stay in the game, and, and it really surprised me. Um, and, and they played a style of football that isn't typical for BYU. You know, you're used to them throwing the ball around the yard, 300, 400 yards passing, just beating you through the air. Um, but that isn't what happened uh, on on that night in Arkansas. So uh, a very impressive win for BYU, and I think this team's a little bit better uh, than people realized. Yeah, the Big 12 is going to be wild. For sure. I mean, there are so many teams – a lot of the conferences looked really bad and there's a few undefeated teams left that have, that have really showed some stuff. Yeah, no. Um, obviously, you know, BYU first year, probably like whatever in a conference, they've been independent for God knows how long, um, you know, kind of making some noise early. Of course, you know, you said they, they played Sam Houston state a little bit close at home, 14, nothing. Um, but you know, you come back the next week, respond with a big win over a major power five opponent in Arkansas, who's in the sec West. I mean, those boys got to be feel, feeling pretty good out there. Um, all right, pivoting a little bit here, moving on. Let's. Uh, do you want to jump into Florida State over Boston College, Colton? Yeah, let's do it. And this is really kind of highlights how crazy this season could end up being. I think going into this week, especially after that week one dominating performance over LSU, I think Florida State was a pretty, a pretty safe bet to go to the playoffs, or at least people felt really good about them. They were down to Boston College, had to come back, ended up gaining control, and then Boston College really made a run for it at the end and had a chance to win. 
uh, their drive stalled short with some penalties. But yeah, Florida State wins 31 to 29 on the road. And I think we might have mentioned it in the ACC preview, but Boston College is one of, if not the worst team in the Power Five. Zay Flowers was everything for them last year, and they were bad last year. They lost to Northern Illinois week one and got really lucky to beat Holy Cross by three. So, yeah, for Florida State, you're going to take a win there, but that is not at all encouraging for the Knolls. Boston College is really, really bad. I don't know how many more games they're going to win this year. The thing that did happen, though, um, this past weekend, obviously Boston College was playing for more than – it was more than just a game for them this weekend, as we saw with their, their uniforms um, and the name on the back. Um, so I feel like they were certainly coming out with a mission, playing inspired football, and, you know, they obviously gave Florida State a big run for their money. Um, of course, Jordan Travis and his Seminoles were able to pull it out in the end. But, uh, no, I totally agree with what you just said. Boston College, not a good team, at least the way that I view them and the things that I've seen uh, before this game. I I didn't see much of anything at all. And, yeah, I mean, of course, the game was in Boston. But uh, still, I mean, Florida State, they um, – I, I almost want to say they kind of maybe overlooked this game and maybe sleptwalked through it a little bit. I mean, of course, a win's still a win, but um, – you know, I, I just I had the Seminoles taking care of business a lot more more sound, soundly than they did on Saturday. Yeah, uh, I think the red bandana game plays a, a huge part in, in the way that game turned out. Uh, when you got a team playing for a cause like that, uh, you just come out playing a little bit harder. The game means a little bit more. Um, I also think that that's a game Boston College has had circled on their calendar since since uh, fall camps or uh, spring ball started at the beginning of the spring. Um, you knew that you would have an opportunity to surprise Penn or uh, Florida State uh, and come out early, uh, play hard, and, and that's what they did. Uh, Jordan Travis took a bit of a shot right before halftime. Uh, wasn't sure if he was going to come back into the game for the second half. He did end up playing, um, but he didn't look the same. Um, you know, I think I think it's a a good good escape for Florida State. I mean, it's just about winning these games at this point for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't dis- discount the fact that it was a it was a major game for Boston College. They they were pumped up, they were they were fired up the entire game, and, and the game meant something to them. Um, and I think you could say I agree with Will that Florida State maybe came out a little bit flat um, and just wasn't able to get juiced up, thinking this would be a cakewalk game uh, for them first first week of ACC play. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean. Yeah, especially in the red bandana game, they're going to be motivated. But I don't know. I would, if I was a Florida State fan, I'd be a bit concerned. But I'm with you there. It's all about just stacking wins any way you can. A win is a win, no matter how pretty or how ugly it may be, especially in conference play. Um, all right. Going from one slugfest to the other, um, LSU over Mississippi State. Um, you know, this game wasn't ever really close at any point as LSU obviously won 41-14. Uh, you know, Jaden Daniels, he looked, compared to week one to what he did this past Saturday, he looked like a completely different quarterback. Um, excuse me. You know, they had things rolling on offense. And, you know, I will say from at least what I saw in the game, I feel like LSU finally utilized Harold Perkins the way that they should have in week one. Um, you know, that dude, I feel like he was flying to the football all over the place throughout that game, getting pressure in the backfield. And, you know, obviously LSU completely handled business in a pretty dominating fashion. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. LSU completely dominated. It's exactly what you kind of what you wanted to see there. If you're an LSU Tiger on the road, just taking care of business. Jane Daniels had a very good game. Another big thing, though, switch from week one was the LSU receivers playing really, really well. I thought in week one they didn't help out Daniels much. But Malik Neighbors goes 13 for 239 and two touchdowns. Daniels is running all over the field. He was 30 of 34 with a 95 QBR. So pretty crazy. On the opposite hand, though, Will Rogers from Mississippi State had a 7.6 QBR. So not great there. Mississippi State most definitely is not running the Mike Leach offense anymore. And, yeah, LSU, I had them winning the West. The West is going to be very interesting, but that's exactly what we wanted to see if you are an LSU fan. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Jaden Daniels played fantastic. Uh, LSU looked great on both sides of the football. Um, never really was a doubt about the game. Just dominated Mississippi State from start to finish. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's a strong way to start off SEC play. Um, people were doubting them after their performance in the fourth quarter against Florida State, uh, but they made sure to leave no doubt uh, in this opener in Starkville. I think there's also a good chance that that LSU-Alabama game is – two one-loss teams, and that could be a really, really fun game in Tuscaloosa that could possibly decide the West. Well, we'll see. they got to come to College Station first. Not this plan. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to be optimistic. Anyways, um, Colton, I'll let you take this one. We're now going to jump to the Texas and Wyoming game. And, uh, yeah, just let me know what you saw. Let me know what you think. Yeah, number three, Texas utterly dominates Wyoming 31-10. to 10. Nothing to see here. No, I'm joking. This was an awful game. Well, first, I want to credit Wyoming. I'm curious to see how Wyoming plays the rest of the year because they did beat Tech, and I wonder if they're going to be one of the better group of five teams. They have a very good coach, and they came up with a great game plan. I mentioned in the preview that Wyoming was going to want to limit possessions and run the ball. They did a lot of misdirection stuff that confused Texas. I thought that they were running the ball pretty well in the first half, and Texas had a bust in assignments that led to a long touch run for Wyoming. But overall, the defense played really well outside of a 10-minute drive for Wyoming in the third quarter. Just really showed how impactful that new clock rule is. But that ended in a field goal. Overall, only 10 points given up for the Longhorns' defense. Jaron Thompson with a pick six. Jade Barron, I think, is the best player on this Texas team. He blows up every screen and is just really, really elite in that secondary. And... Yeah, as far as the offense goes, though, really, really frustrating. It reminded me a lot of the Rice game where it's really weird. I genuinely don't think Texas game plan for this game. There's times where I feel like Sark just decides how much of the playbook he's going to utilize based on the level of respect he has for the opponent he's playing. And Texas just did a whole lot of nothing. It was just really weird. Quinn Ewers was wildly inconsistent. The receivers probably dropped five balls. And I just did not like what I saw. Jonathan Brooks ran really hard. And once Longhorns realized they could run inside zone the whole game and win, then they just took over the fourth quarter. Xavier Worthy had an incredible screen that he housed for a touchdown. But, yeah, I don't know, really frustrating. I am I think a different team is going to show up in Waco and look really good. But I think Texas has the type of defense where – if they get on top of someone early, they can they can just choke them out and blow teams out. But I don't know. Texas is going to lose a couple games this year, and it's going to be infuriating. And it's going to be because their offense is just – their offense is inconsistent. And I don't know. So interested to see how it plays out. But Texas overall gets to win. You're not going to complain about a 21-point victory. But that game was way too close for comfort. 
Yeah. What do you I, mean by that? I I, I, sorry, I agree. I I agree that out there. I'm sorry. But uh, but uh, but a game that that it actually really reminded me of. Uh, this is gonna sound a little Homerish, but it really gave me throwbacks to the UTSA game last year versus UT. I was thinking uh, the same thing during that game, where where UTSA was up to, uh, was on top at the half, seventeen fourteen. Um, and UT was able to really just pound the ball in the second half uh, with Bijan Robinson, <laughs> um, and and they took a pretty convincing win over the Roadrunners. Uh, the Roadrunners weren't able to score in the second half. Um, but yeah, I think I think Quinn Ewers is the king of playing to the level of his competition. We saw it last year at Alabama. Uh, Bama came in to DKR, and Quinn Ewers looked like he was, I, I don't even know, Vince Young, I guess, um, for the first half of that football game. Before he got injured, um, we started again this year. He goes to Alabama and he looks great. He looked terrible week one uh, against Rice, um, and he looks bad again this week against Wyoming. Uh, I'll be interested to see against the Big Twelve um, how he continues to play. Uh, but this Texas defense is no joke. I think they're they're really legit. It's one of the top ten units in the country, um, and I think that that's the selling point that people missed. Uh, they were really able to confuse Milrow and the Alabama offense uh, the entire game last week, um, and they continue to play good football. Uh, again this week. And I think that's actually the best part of this Texas team that no one's talking about. I would have to completely agree with you on that one. You know, I will, I will admit coming into the season, I did say that I feel like the entirety of just how special Texas season will be going into this year will rely on Quinn Ewers and how he plays. And, you know, obviously as we all know, he's a major part of that. Um, that Texas defense is just absolutely legit. I mean, they got dudes at every position. Um, I mean, they, they just, uh, they're a really salty group and just know how to get the job done. Um, as for what we saw this past weekend against Wyoming, that was, it. I, I would have to agree with James on that. Um, I, I do believe that Quinn Ewers is the king of playing up or playing down to his competition. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as he can play well enough to get the win, of course. Um, but no, it was definitely, a, a, a quite interesting and somewhat disappointing first half, I would say for Quinn Ewers, um, especially if you're a Texas fan, um, you know, I, the game was tied going into halftime, wasn't it? It was 10, seven Texas at the half and then 10 to 10 at the end of the third. Oh, 10, 10. It was in the third. That's right. Um, yeah, no, th- those first 45 minutes of ball, I mean, that was, it was just kind of kind of a head scratcher just watching from afar. But as we all know, Texas is you know still Texas this year, and they pull away and ultimately win thirty one ten. So they look good in the fourth quarter. Um, but no, that was uh that was just quite interesting. And Colton, I do want to point out, I I kind of did call my shot last episode where I did say this would be a slugfest. I told you to call the upset. I didn't want to call the upset. I didn't feel too confident in that, but literally as they were starting the fourth quarter and they were still tied, I was kind of like, holy cow, I probably should have called it. But no, I mean, Wyoming, one, they completely outcoached Sark, but they were they were just really smart. They had their backup quarterback in two, and they gave him short, easy completions. But look, at the end of the day, if Texas offense is putting up points, it doesn't matter. The second Texas got up and Wyoming had to actually throw the ball, Texas picked six of them, but – yeah, I don't know. It it seems like Texas just doesn't have a base offense they can run against these teams to dominate them. So, like I said, I think in conference play it'll be different. But, yeah, I mean, here we go. It's We've seen how crazy this, even the first three weeks have been. But at the end of the day, Texas was a favorite to win the conference coming into the year. Now that they're 3-0 with a top five win on the road, 
I mean, the goal is the playoffs at this point, and they have they're going to be favored in every game, bearing major injury. So here we go. We'll see what they can do. Absolutely. All right. Um, if you don't mind, can we shift to uh, my game from this past weekend? If that's cool with y'all. Yeah, you probably. Um, I did so. Yeah, it was um, it was it was fun, but the the only thing that I will say, just as an AM fan, um, you know, coming out coming off of week one, I I was on such an incredible high I hadn't felt from the football program in forever, uh, just to be completely let down off that high immediately in week two. Um, so I will say I am cautiously optimistic after seeing what they did on uh, this past weekend. Um, obviously, Connor Wigman balled out once again. Um, I think he is an absolute perfect fit for Bobby Trino's offense, what he's trying to run here in College Station. Um, you know, Jade Walker caught his first career touchdown pass at AM. The five star freshman, Ruben Owens, scored his first touchdown, I believe, in the third quarter of that game. Uh, long story short, I wasn't expecting this to be a close game at all, and it wasn't by any means. Um, I think uh, I saw some crazy stat that said AM's defense didn't let up like a single yard in the passing game in, like the second half or something um which is obviously a major improvement over what happened in south beach or excuse me coral gables a week ago um so yeah no that was a that was certainly a welcome sight to see as an aggie um all in all they look good but um you know with conference play starting now with the the true meat and potatoes of the schedule coming up uh I hope they can continue this momentum going into conference. Yeah, I mean, AM dominates. It's what you would want in a game like that. Yeah, we'll see. They have some pretty winnable games early in conference before Alabama comes to town. So we'll see how they can transition into the SEC play. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's just a similar AM team to every other year. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I don't see him as much of a coach. Um, and yeah, I think he will hold AM back until his contract expires in seven years. So. Not much for me to say about AM. That's fair. I, I, I can totally see that. I mean, I, I have seen some chatter on Twitter about just the absolute ridiculous buyout it would take for Jimbo Fisher to be officially fired. Um, I don't know, though. We'll see. He recruits at a crazy high level, as we all know. Um, so it's it's clearly if he's bringing in talent that that good and he's not seeing results, it may it may be time for him to do some some self-reflection and realize it's not the talent it's probably him but as of right now you know they're, they're we're two and one going into conference play um you know i fully expect AM to rack up two wins before they welcome alabama into town in three weeks i believe is when it is um so i i certainly expect them uh going forward to handle business against auburn and against arkansas and jerry world before alabama ultimately rolls into town All right, moving on from from that, um, Florida over Tennessee. This was actually pretty surprising. I didn't have Tennessee playing that bad on my bingo card at all this weekend. Um, Joe Milton, I I'm not really sure what to say. The dude, it, he just didn't seem pa- uh, comfortable in the pass game at all in this game. Um, of course, the game wasn't was at night in the swamp, so that is one of the most difficult venues in all of college football to pull out a win in. However, um, you know, with such the high expectations from last year, we all know this isn't this this isn't the same Tennessee team as last year, but we still expect them to be pretty dang good to compete for um, the SEC East crown. Be playing in Atlanta, um, they certainly do not look like a team who could do that. 
this past weekend, of course, especially against a Florida team who is still, I feel like, somewhat recovering from that pretty embarrassing loss with Utah week one. Um, but overall, I mean, Florida, you know, they, they clearly got their stuff together before this game and pulled out a win 29-16. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to – the only thing I'll say is this game looked like Vegas had a very strong impact. Uh, I don't know how many people watch this football game, but I've never seen so many blatantly missed penalties um, and just blatantly terrible calls against Tennessee. Um, it started in like the second quarter. Um, no pass interference calls, um, phantom holding, phantom block in the backs. Um, just some of the softest calls I've ever seen. Um, I will say the Swamp did show out. Uh, I saw people on Twitter trashing the Swamp, saying it wasn't a top five venue in the SEC, uh, saying it it wasn't even like a top 25 venue in all of college football uh, to go watch football games at. Uh, and the Swamp took that personally. Um, it was an electric game all all afternoon and all night. Um, and I think the ending where uh, we saw uh, the big Florida offensive lineman squaring up with the Tennessee uh, defender was just a fantastic picture. Uh, I like the way someone tweeted out that it was the undercard for Colorado, Colorado State. I uh, saw that. Just that an absolutely so electric ending. Uh, that was a great hilarious. Yeah. Game. Um, but I will say that I, Josh Heifel has, has some major problems. Um, his offense is absolutely garbage. Um, they, they, there's nothing. There's no creativity. Um, it's, it was one of the most pathetic outputs I've ever seen. Um, Milton's receivers can't handle his fastball. Um, and, and I mean, it was just an absolutely terrible display for Tennessee. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose five, six, seven games this season. They looked awful. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that about Tennessee's offense and how shaky they looked. We talked about it in our season preview, how, one of the reasons Tennessee was so good last year was the way that their offense is with their receivers kind of having option routes is it really relies on your quarterbacks and receivers being experienced and knowing how to play with, with one another and kind of react off each other. And yeah, that offense just does not look good right now. They were pretty much shut down. That Joe Milton pick was one of the worst picks I've ever seen. I know he was hit was probably trying to throw the ball away, but that was an ugly, ugly pick, but yeah, big win for Florida. We were pretty down on them entering the year, and even going into this game, we both picked the Vols to win. But, I mean, Trevor Etienne runs all over that Tennessee defense. Graham Mertz didn't do anything special besides that besides that one pretty awesome pump fake when he pointed at the guy. But, yeah, I mean, Mertz was solid wearing Tim Tebow's number 15. And, uh, yeah, big win for the Gators. I don't know how many more they're going to have, but maybe their ceiling is a little bit higher than I anticipated this year. So, yeah, big win there for the Gators, and yeah, that fight at the end of the game was pretty awesome. That was a chippy game, but that fight was completely Josh Heupel's fault for calling a timeout with nine seconds left. And then, of course, Graham Mertz has to run around on the kneel, gets hit late, and punches are being thrown. But the dude squaring up, that was an awesome picture moment. Yeah, that was absolutely hilarious. And glad, uh, James, I also am glad that you mentioned that tweet, um, that that picture of them squaring up was the undercard for the Colorado-Colorado State game. I thought that was probably the tweet of the weekend once I saw it. Um, all right, let's go to the next game here. Let's see. Um, all right, let's. this is probably the biggest slugfest we had the entire weekend. I know, I know week three actually didn't disappoint considering the – the kind of lopsided matchups we had, but Alabama and South Florida in, in Tampa. Uh, wow. I, that's kind of all I got to say about this one. Um, I, 
I don't I don't even really know where to start. So Colton, if you don't mind, could you could you start this one for me, please? Yeah. So we talked about Alabama obviously losing to Texas in our last episode, and we mentioned how while Jalen Milrow made some mistakes. We think he still has a chance to be a pretty good quarterback in college, especially if they tailor their offense towards his strengths with with kind of some more RPOs, some zone reads, and kind of scheming up some deep shots for him. And, yeah, they benched Jalen Milrow, and I kind of thought this was not so smart of a decision. Bama fans and Saban were calling for Tyler Buckner, who sucked at Notre Dame. Surprise, surprise, he still sucks. So, yeah, Tyler Buckner was awful. That offensive line is really, really bad. Caden Proctor, five-star freshman left tackle, has really struggled. And Yeah, Bama just looks out of sync. I mean, there's really no excuse for a team of that talent level to struggle like that with South Florida. But, yeah, that game was 3-3 three to three at the half. They end up benching Tyler Buckner, putting in the freshman Ty Simpson, who once again did not have very much help, but he doesn't look ready either. But, yeah, Bama – Scores in the last possession to make it 17-3 to victory. But, yeah, that is not good for Bama. And today they announced that Milrow will be back starting, which I think is a good move, especially with Ole Miss coming to town. But, yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do on offense there with Tommy Reese because I think they really need to adjust their offense a bit to Milrow's strengths. But I can still see them winning a lot of games. They're still really talented. And I really do think if Texas played Buckner or Simpson that they would have won by a lot more because – I mean, that O-line is really struggling. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Buckner and Simpson are absolute garbage. Um, I think they made a huge mistake moving away from Milrow um, this early in the season, especially when you have a game versus USF um, where, where he needs the reps. You know, that's a game where he needs to work on his reads. He needs to work on live game action, um, getting the play call, you know, making his adjustment to the line of scrimmage, um, reading the defense. Um, get, just getting more comfortable with the offense. Um, you know, he was only put in for one game last year. Um, he'd only gotten two starts this year, and they already ousted him. Um, clearly, both those guys aren't the answer, uh, Buckner and Simpson. Um, and, and I think they're going to get absolutely slaughtered by Ole Miss this next week because now they're just, oh, hey, Milrow, you're right back into the fire with, you know, arguably the, I guess, second or third best team in the West now this year, Ole Miss. Um so yeah, this will, this will, I don't know. I think it's a disaster. Um, it's it's incredible to see Nick Saban make such a such a um, influenced move by the fan base. Uh, I think old Nick Saban, you know, goes up and says, you know, we're sticking with our guy. Uh, we have faith in him, and we know he can get the job done. Um, and he let the fan base push him around, and he made a he made an emotional decision to go with Buckner. Saw that didn't work for some reason. Didn't go to Milrow in the second half. Goes to Simpson and also sees that not work, and still doesn't go to Milrow. Um, I don't know. It's all, it's all really confusing to me. Uh, I mean, obviously it's still Bama. They still have the five-star recruits. Um, they got to figure some stuff out with the offensive line. Um, but I think maybe the biggest storyline people aren't talking about is that Bill O'Brien's now gone uh, from their offensive uh, play calling duties and stuff. And I think that could be causing a, a bigger factor uh, than people want to, people want to admit, you know, Saban's known for having one of the top five coaching staffs in all of football. Uh, and it seems like maybe he had some bad hires this offseason. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's how I see this Alabama situation shaking out this season. Yeah, I'm with you totally on Milrow. It's really weird. You're completely right about him needing South Florida to get reps in because now, look, they're playing a ranked Ole Miss team, and this will be Milrow's fourth start. He started against A&M last year. He started against Middle Tennessee, Texas, and now Ole Miss. So three of those four teams are pretty damn talented. 
And yeah, I'm, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that was a really, really bad move by Saban. I also completely agree with what you just said, James. It was really surprising to see Saban make a move that felt so dictated by the fan base. Um, you know, that was the biggest loss that uh, Alabama has had at home in a long time uh, after playing Texas. And so, obviously, Bama fans aren't used to that. And whoever is the field general at the time, they're going to call for his head. And so that's exactly what happened. Um, so, I, I, if anything, I actually kind of feel for Jalen Miller a little bit because, uh, you know, it feels kind of kind of messed up a little bit but at the same time if he wanted to keep the job for sure he, he should have just played better but anyways um it will be really interesting to see how they handle this situation um you know they keep revolving quarterbacks like this is absolutely crazy i mean for all i know they might throw the pink panther in there before the season's over um but anyways it it's just not typical alabama that we've known and come uh, become used to over the years. Um, so I think that Nick Saban will really be tested this year if he hasn't already just to prove um, just how, how good of a coach he really is. Yeah. Watching this Bama offense with Buckner had to felt like getting like a root canal. I mean, it was, it was just really bad. I mean, they, they couldn't do anything. I mean, they're getting pushed around by South Florida. So yeah, I think they've got to go Milro the rest of the season. They have to for sure. If if they want any chance of having a shot at the playoff again, I, I just have to think Milrow is your guy going forward. All right, yeah, well, next let's, uh, let's hop into a really good SEC game. Yeah, let's do it. Colton, take take us home right here. Yeah, Mizzou and Eli Drinkwitz get a signature win over the reigning Big Twelve champions, Kansas State, thirty to twenty seven. This was a really really good game. We talked about Luther Burden in the last episode. He's an absolute stud, and yeah, I mean, this game was kind of back and forth, and Mizzou there at the end drives down the field. It's going to be a long field goal, about a 56-yarder. Mizzou spikes the ball, and they treat it like a timeout. So they're all on the sideline, huddled up. Meanwhile, the play clock is winding and winding down. Before you know it, Missouri gets a really, really dumb delay game, which, I mean, look, Eli Drinkwitz has been on the hot seat, and that could have really cost him, but... Nonetheless, they send out their kicker who drills a 61-yarder, longest kick in SEC history, and that was probably good from 67-68. Absolutely. Yeah, he drilled. absolutely smoked that ball. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't believe it because he missed – I think he missed a 54-yarder earlier in the game, and he had the leg for it. But, I mean, I don't – I mean, I know that Tech won – did they beat Iowa State on a 62-yarder a couple years back? It was something ridiculous. But even like then, that. like, this would have been good from, like I said, probably close to 70. Do you remember that? Uh, did you uh, – you saw that tweet that I sent you this past weekend. Um, it was him doing the salute in the bowl game yeah. a couple years ago and it said America's kicker. I yeah. mean, what a boot. Yeah, for sure. James, what did you see in this one? Yeah, I mean, Brady Cooks looked really good. Um, you know, some of these SEC quarterbacks have gotten off to a slow start, but Brady Cook just looked like an absolute beast. Um, Mizzou was just throwing the ball around the field all day. Um, you know, 356 yards passing, two passing touchdowns. Uh, Cook was able to run one in on the ground. Um, but I think the real star of this game was Luther Burden III. Um, you know, he went off seven catches for 114, two touchdowns, uh, a huge 47-yard reception uh, for Mizzou. Um, but K-State really, I mean, 
the loss of Deuce Vaughn seems to be a, a huge problem. Uh, the ground game really was, wasn't that good. Um, it's, it's a platoon backfield for them. Um, Will Howard played well, but, um, he just wasn't able to get the job done. Uh, and I think they let Mizzou hang around all game. Uh, and when you got a team like, like Missouri at home, um, especially early on the season with, with an upset game brewing, uh, you can't let a team like that hang around. Um, cause, cause they're just going to find a way to win the football game. Uh, and you just, you got to love the fans storming after, after a ranked win. Um, just, just a great atmosphere, uh, in Mizzou, uh, this Saturday. Yeah. I'm with you on Kansas state. They don't look nearly as explosive without Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. I, um, I do want to give Luther Burden his flowers though, because he was the number one wide receiver coming out of coming out of high school. I believe it was two years ago. Um, so to see him actually find success at Mizzou, um, you know, I remember watching him last year a little bit and everyone's like, Oh, he's going to transfer immediately to transfer immediately. So to see him stick it out and have some success like that in a big time game, um, I don't know about y'all, but that at least makes me pretty happy, at least just as a, as a football fan. So I'm a shout out to Luther Burden. That's a pretty dang good game. He turned it on Saturday. Yeah, he's the hometown guy that stuck around and he is electric. He's getting the job done for him. Absolutely. Okay. I believe the next game we are jumping to right now is without a doubt the game of the weekend. Um, that's Colorado over Colorado state 43, 35 in Boulder. Uh, man, what a game, you know, Colorado state had a lead, whatnot there late. And all of a sudden, you know, here comes Shadur Sanders and the Buffaloes, you know, come back late, um, on their final drive of regulation, they were pinned back at their own two yard line from an absolute bomb by the Colorado state punter. Um, but obviously That's one of the best punts I've ever seen. that was phenomenal. It, it didn't, it didn't even look beautiful, but just where it started and where it ended up, that was an absolute bomb of a punt. And it was just a thing of beauty. But, uh, anyways, as we all know, Shooter Sanders has been playing out of his mind ever since the season started. And, you know, he was out of his mind once again, um, you know, playing like playing wise and also poking some dude's eyes out at the same time. So, um, Anyways, uh, Colorado obviously won uh, 43 35 in double overtime over Colorado State. Um, man, what a hell of a game. Colton, let me know what you got. Yeah, this was a college game day game, and it totally delivered. This was what you want to see in a rivalry game. It was incredibly chippy. We have to mention that Travis Hunter gets knocked out, which is really unfortunate. That was a pretty dirty and late hit, and he's going to be out for a few weeks, which really sucks as a college football fan because he's a really, really fun player to watch. But yeah, and after that, Shadur gets in the guy's face, and then at other points in the game, Shadur is trying to gouge some dude's eyes out. And I saw one Colorado State guy did did the Dion shuffle in the end zone. Another guy was high stepping. So this game was personal, and you love to see that in a big rivalry game. Colorado State had three receivers go for over 100 yards, through for almost 400 on this defense. And yeah. In the end, Shadir Sanders and Colorado find a way to win in a really exciting double overtime. Colorado will not win enough games for Shadir to win the Heisman, but if they did, this could be somewhat of an early Heisman moment. The thing with Colorado here, Xavier Weaver plays really well. Michael Harris and Jimmy Horn all step up in the absence of Travis Hunter in the receiving game, but Colorado simply cannot run the ball. Dylan Edwards is a talented guy, but they don't have the O-line for that. They're just not physical enough. Average less than three yards of carry, and I think that's really going to start hurting them come this week against Oregon. They have a pretty tough slate coming up, but yeah, really, really awesome game. And I really don't know how Colorado won. I think Colorado. 
You good? Sorry about that. I think that was I was on ESPN. I think some commercials started playing. So, oh yeah, good, no worries. I'd have to cut that one out. But yeah, Colorado really struggled to run the ball there. Only less than three yards of carry. I think that's going to start to hurt them. But yeah, great rivalry game, double overtime win, and face some big time adversity. So good for the Buffs. Yeah, um, I don't think Colorado's offense is what's scaring me at all. Um, you know, Shador Sanders did they get off to a slow start. Uh, I think only throwing for 70 yards in the first half. He ended up throwing a three for 348 and four touchdowns. Uh, the interception he had was unfortunate. Uh, the ball did get kind of snatched out of his receiver's hands. Um, the scary thing for me is Colorado's defense. Um, they made Braden Fowler Nicolosi look like he was Caleb Williams for four quarters and two overtimes. Um, they just let them throw one yard under routes literally the entire game. Um, I've never seen a team run cover two um, off coverage for literally four quarters and then two overtimes and somehow still get away with it. Um, I think Nicolosi had like 75 air yards uh, and 300 yards of yak from his receivers. Um, But yeah, um, Torrey Horton and Lewis Brown, the fourth, uh, Caught 16 and 10 balls, respectively, for 130 yards apiece. Um, it was just unbelievable. They were running these under routes. It was for free 10 to 15 yards. Um, no adjustments were made for Colorado. Um, Hunter being out is going to be a huge loss going into Oregon and going into USC these next two weeks. Uh, they're not going to have an automatic shutdown uh, on each of those teams' number one wide receivers. Um, and I do think that Hunter creates a matchup nightmare uh, on offense, too, um, which will hurt Shador. Um, but I think Weaver and Harrison have been playing ex- extraordinary football. Harrison was the breakout star of this game, catching two touchdowns and that two-point conversion in overtime. Um, but, yeah, I mean, everyone's going to doubt them going into these games against Oregon and USC, but uh, there just seems to be some magic in Boulder, um, and you got to love it. And, uh, you know, people were giving him flack all week for the hatred, for rushing the field. Dude, they were they were 1-11 last year. They were They were terrible for years before that. Let them have their fun. Let them rush the field. That was a rivalry game. That was a great win. People were writing Dion off in the middle of the third quarter, the middle of the fourth quarter. People were saying, oh, the fun's over. Like, it was fun while it lasted. No, no. This is an awesome show in Boulder, and I'm all for rushing the field. Do it every game. Do it every game they win. I'll support it. I'll back it. This Colorado team is electric, and and they are my favorite team to watch in football. Because they had me, they had me up at 9 p.m., 9:30 to 1:30 a.m. to watch Colorado play football. I didn't think I'd be saying that ever in my lifetime. It was absolutely awesome. I wouldn't watch any other team in the country. I wouldn't watch LSU. I wouldn't watch Texas. I wouldn't watch the national championship till 1:30 in the morning. But I watch maybe Colorado maybe play. Hawaii though. I'll watch Colorado play. Would you watch Hawaii? No, only Coach Prime and the Buffs. Okay. Only the Buffs. Do you believe? Um, we hear. I do. I know that we did just kind of thrash their Colorado's defense for obvious reasons um, just a moment ago, but I do want to say one of the coolest moments of the entire night actually did come on defense with that pick six by Shiloh Sanders. Um, you know, he housed that thing. It was like 70-something yards, I think. Uh, he brought it back, obviously did a touchdown or score, scored a touchdown and immediately ran over to the sidelines to give his dad, Dion like a huge bear hug. So I thought that was one of the really, like one of the coolest things I've seen on a college football field in a while. Didn't he force a fumble as well, Shiloh? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, I mean, look, I was I thought Colorado was going to win three games this year, and they are three and zero. So I still think that they're going to struggle, but I'm totally with you, James. 
let him have fun. I mean, people who get mad at teams for rushing the field, it's so lame. Just let the college kids have fun. Yeah, you're just mad and, your team doesn't have Coach Sanders. That's why. Yeah, and people like people love to hate Coach Prime, and he's good for the sport. So I know he's I know he's loud and and whatnot, but he's he's great for the sport and he's winning right now. And I mean, they had they had they had Kawhi Leonard there. He doesn't even go to Clipper games, and he's they actually on got him outside. This is also kind of off topic, but just to show like the true prime effect of what's been going on in Boulder. Um, you know those obviously the sunglasses that Prime is known for pretty much ever since he got to Boulder. Um, I saw the website. I can't think of the name of the brand, but the brand that sells them, they did over like one point one million dollars in no. sales this past it just, weekend. It just no, it just got announced four point five million dollars in sales. Blenders uh, this past weekend. Correct, four point five million. From this past well, that has that has definitely are, jumped since I last saw it. But out, that is crazy. They have sold out four times. They sold out orders going out next week. They sold out orders going out in October. They sold out orders going out in November, and they've already sold out orders going out in December. The coach yeah. effect is real. Prime's the man, no question. Also, real quick side note: Shiloh Sanders does wear his dad's old number, so to see a, a twenty-one Sanders going down the sideline with a pick six like that, that was pretty sweet to see again. Also, Shadur with the watch and the sunglasses post game was awesome because Jay Norvell talked and which was that was such a stupid beef he was trying to start. What is he upset about? It's so dumb. I I don't know. Wear sunglasses and a hat on a football field. He just had to find any way possible, I guess, to get under prime skin. But I don't. I really don't think he knew he was dealing with. Okay, let's. uh, Let's. We just run through these last. Yeah, I was about. I was about to ask you. Let's just run through these last few ones. Oh, yeah, I'll just run through these, and then at the end, if you guys have any thoughts, just chime in here. Ohio beats Iowa State. Matt Campbell, man, that guy should have gone out of town three years ago when he's one of the hottest coaches in the country. Yes, Iowa State has a bunch of key players suspended for a gambling on and against their own team, but totally unacceptable. You can't lose to a Mac team 10-7. to 7, So, yeah, that's not good for Matt Campbell. And look, credit to him for giving Iowa State expectations – like this to that they should just win every group of five game they play. But I mean, you, I mean, you cannot lose that game. South Alabama destroys Oklahoma state in Stillwater 33 to seven. I mean, I thought Okie state could kind of be that slept on team in the big 12 there. Mike Gundy's a really good coach, but between his kid Gunner and their other quarterback, Alan Bowman, they just could not get it done. Their defense got gashed. And yeah, that is a disaster for Mike Gundy and Oklahoma state. TCU defeats Houston 36-13 in Houston. I don't think Holgerson is going to be the coach at U of H much longer. I wonder if he's going to be the coach when Texas comes to town in about a month or so or a little over a month. So, yeah, Houston, I know we didn't expect much. I thought after the UTSA game they were could be better than anticipated, then they lose to Rice and then really show no life against TCU there. So big one for Sunny Dykes getting their first Power Five win of the year. West Virginia beats Pitt seventeen to six. We talked about how this could be a really good bad game, and this was just awful. West Virginia wins seventeen to six. Backyard roll uh, delivered though. Yeah, West Virginia wins while completing six passes. <laughs> they run for and look, they ran for one hundred fifty-one yards, but on three yards of carry. So they basically did nothing offensively. Their two quarterbacks had QBRs of 27 and 1.9, but Pitt's quarterback, Phil Jurgovich, who was used to be at Notre Dame, 
kills it. He's balling out of control. Eight of twenty for eighty-one yards and three picks. So, yeah, I don't know. Pitt won the ACC two years ago. Kenny Pickett's not there anymore, and yeah, that's a really bad loss. Also, Cincinnati loses to Miami of Ohio, and Cincy was I was not high on them coming into the year, but they beat Pitt, so I thought, hey, maybe they're going to be better than I thought, and they lose to a MAC team. So. Yeah, not a banner weekend for the Big 12. However, Maction Ball is back, baby. Oh, yeah. The Maction never left. Um, I just I don't have any closing thoughts on those other games, aside from I think, Colton, you and I discussed this in the last episode. Um, I saw a tweet from Sicko's committee. I believe it was early last week saying that um, the Mac had a – Shoot, they had a streak of upsets over Power 5 teams going back to the early 2000s, and I think this was like the last main weekend for them to continue that streak. So I'm actually, as a college football fan, I'm really glad to see that match in. Um, it delivered once again this year, so that that's really fun to watch. Yeah, I think my only thought is um, I don't understand why U of H uh, can't get any fans. Um, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Houston's the third largest city in the world. or Sorry, in the United States, in the United States. Um, and they're just no one goes to their football games. That's sad. Um, you know, uh, Fertitta's been trying to build that program up. He got him into the Big 12. Uh, won't be surprised if he's able to get Holgerson out of there. Um, maybe Jeff Trailer to U of H. I don't know. He does have the money to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it would be cool if U of H uh, kind of got to, like, an SMU sort of status. Um and yeah, got some fans and kind of turned their program around because it's a cool program to have winning. Uh, they came out with those super, super sick powder blues week one versus UTSA. Um, they're obviously putting effort in to be good. Um, and, you know, it starts with football. So I'd love to see U of H uh, turn it around. I agree. U of H has, I feel like there's a decent amount of, I mean, we're all from Houston, but I feel like they have a, a pretty big footprint, obviously, in the city. And I think it's different than SMU where, Dallas has, I mean, UT, A&M, OU, Tech probably all have bigger footprints than, you know, than SME does in Dallas. There's just so much more going on there, at least from a college perspective. But yeah, with Houston, I don't, I don't get it. But yeah, interesting you said Jeff Trailer to U of H. I could definitely see that. I think the natural progression would be him to U of H. And then maybe if a job like Texas or A&M or Arkansas came open, he would... Yeah, please. I would love it. But, I do agree. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, uh, James, I agree with that as well. It is a lot of fun to see a good U of H team, especially when you look back, you know, the Ed Oliver days, the Tom Herman days when, you know, they were consistently ranked. And if I remember correctly, um, oh, what was that game they had quite a few years ago? They went into Navy and got upset, but they were ranked like top 10 in the country and were maybe knocking on the door of a playoff spot a couple of years ago, whatever that, that was. was. That was Tom Herman's last year. They opened up, they beat Oklahoma, and they ranked really high. Then they lost in Navy. They lost a couple more dumb games. Then they played Lamar Jackson at home, and they destroyed him. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I mean, that was the last U of H team I could think of that was, you know, at, at that SMU caliber of football, uh, at least what we've seen these past years from SMU. But no, whenever U of H is going well, um, they really are a lot of fun to watch. All right, gentlemen, that, that concludes all of our games. Um, however, I think the most exciting segment of the entire show is about to take center stage. Um, 
so as the the ones who have made it this far and have listened to our show um, pretty much since we started about a month, month and a half ago, you know that we always end our show with either one of two segments, life advice or a draft. And so tonight we are doing a draft. And in honor of James and the UTSA Roadrunners, we will be drafting our top five birds. Uh, it'll be pretty exciting. And since James is our is our guest, uh, you got the first pick. What, what are we thinking, boss? Yeah, I mean, 1-1, one, one, it's just such an obvious pick. Uh, there's only one bird you can go with, um, and that's the peacock. I got peacock 1-1, one, one, not even close. Just the most elegant, elite bird of all birds, peacock 1-1. One, one. Very very pretty, I'll give you that. Very, uh, very fun to look at. Um, for my one, two, I, I, uh, I know it's not the 4th of July anymore, but y'all know exactly where I'm going by saying that. Give me the bald eagle. Um, I mean, he's just quintessential. He's world renowned. You can associate him pretty much with the United States of America, everywhere in the world. He's just an icon. And so I'm going to take the bald eagle with my first pick. Boys, those are two solid picks, but I just won the draft. Give me the blue footed booby. Those birds are so cool i mean look at this tell me that's not awesome it's a bird with blue feet those things are incredible that is that's incredible yeah they're they are pretty sweet but yeah i'm gonna go with my next pick oh james i forgot to mention we do a snake draft here by the way oh yeah i'm I'm well aware okay just letting you know sorry about that so, yeah, my next pick, second round, we're going to go with a puffin. Because, look, people like penguins. I get it. Everyone likes penguins. But puffins, a bit smaller, they can fly 55 miles per hour. So a lot of speed on those babies. And, yeah, I mean, they are just pretty cool-looking birds. So give me the puffin. I think I have two awesome picks to start this draft off. You know, Colton, before we started recording, you said you're going to come out of the gates hot, and I there's no way in hell I could have predicted those two. So shout out to you for keeping that under wraps. Um, man, there, there are a lot of different directions I can go here with my second pick. Um, you know, I already got the bald eagle. He's, he's a big freedom one. Uh, I'm sorry, Colton, you got me completely flustered over here for a moment. Um, I will, though. You know, hell with it. I'll take the biggest bird on the planet. I'll take the ostrich. Um, that bird absolutely can haul ass across the Serengeti. I mean, some might even compare it. They might call him the cheetah of birds. I don't know. That, that, that's what I heard. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm taking the ostrich. Just pure physical dominance and power. And, you know, they can't fly. That's, like, the biggest prereq to be a bird. But at the end of the day, they still get the job done. Wow, I, I can't believe I was able to get these two birds to slide to me back here at, at 2-3 and 3-1. Um, so first bird I'm going to take to close out the second round is the pink flamingo. I mean, what what just a majestic bird, uh, a long-legged species like myself. Um, just such a beautiful pink color. Um, how can you not take the pink flamingo on your draft? Um, and then swinging it back around to 3-1, I mean, this bird's just it's it's the bird of the year uh the andean cock of the rock um <laughs> also known as the tunki um i mean it's the a tunki, uh andean cock of the rock uh, i'm sorry the, i i ask because i'm writing this down and you're about to give me a seizure trying to spell a, that it is a oh, come on you gotta know what it is it is a beautiful beautiful bird species um 
I mean, it's just it, it it's a beautiful black and orange bird. Uh, reminds me um, of the wow. Oriole. That's beautiful. So yeah, wow. the, the Andean cock of the rock at three one, I think is just a great steal. Uh, this is a value draft for me. You know, I feel like he could be a big sleeper in this draft. He could be one of the like the most underrated guys we've taken off the board so far. Um, okay, I, I see that y'all are kind of going in the more exotic kind of range here. Um, I will say, though, I am, I am with my 3-2. I'm going to keep it a little bit more domestic. However, this bird, is its beauty cannot be uh, undervalued, understated by any means. I'm going to take the wood duck. Um, if those of you that know the wood duck, it has one of the most beautiful heads in the entire out of the entire duck species. Um, obviously, the dude loves timber. He loves a nice, solid piece of wood. Uh, I mean, what's, the, what's not to like? Solid pick there. So do I have I have two picks right now? Yeah. All right, give me Zazu from the Lion King. Dude, we're doing real birds, boss. I know. Okay, Zazu is a horn kind of bird. bird. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah. He's an African red billed hornbill. African red billed hornbill? Yeah. And he's Zazu. He's awesome. That's fair. I like that. So yeah, Zazu or the African Hornbill, what it's called. And yeah, my next pick, I'm going to go with the Toucan. Ooh, I like Those that. birds are awesome. They have I the like colorful that. beaks. I love to see it kind of have some flair, have some personality to you. So yeah, give me Toucan. I love where this draft is going. Should we do He's five all- picks? Yeah, we're doing five picks. I also, Colton, I, I will give you props on the last toucan pick. I mean, aside from his beak being an absolute icon, he is also on one of the biggest cereal boxes in the entire country. So shout out to Fruit Loops. Um, I like that theme. So for my my four two, uh, I'm going to take the red macaw. I love the macaw, um, especially now. You know. God rest Jimmy Buffett's soul. That's that's such an iconic bird when you think about the beach or somewhere tropical like that. I, at least it's just maybe it's just me. I don't know, um, but I am taking the McCall. No hand, no no questions asked for this pick. Yeah, I mean, just such a mistake by y'all to let the Roadrunner uh, fall all the way back to me. I uh, knew you would do this. I mean, just you have it. Just such a fast, such a fast bird. Um, you know who who doesn't love the Roadrunner? Just such an elite bird. Um, also some in a cartoon. Somebody yeah, I was gonna say it's it's multi-bird. Uh, plays both ways. Um, it's just it's just a fantastic bird. It's the Tyree kill of birds, uh, and who doesn't want that on their team? Um, and then my final pick, my final pick. This is gonna be steal of the draft. I'm taking Larry Bird uh, as my fifth bird. Oh, um, I might have I might man. have to throw a flag on that, but that is a really good pick. No, I mean, oh, that has to. Oh, stay. I mean, he's right, right. uh, Larry Bird, um, world champion. Uh, all-star, you know, one of the greatest scorers of all time. Uh, Larry Bird rounds out my my bird draft. Uh, just great value there at uh, 5-1. I like that. You snuck that in there. Um, all right, for my final pick, since we're kind of going off in that direction a little bit, can you all give me the big yellow chicken from Family Guy that always kicks Peter Griffin's ass? Wow, that's I, a great pick. I can't think of his name, but he is always duking it out with Peter Griffin, and he... I'll, he just gets the job done. That's a, um, that's a great pick. Uh, I almost feel like now hearing that, that I, I made a mistake in my draft and, and I should have taken a different pick at, at 4-3. I mean, I, I thought you were going to go with Big Bird. Uh, no, I, that, I that is – Yeah. 
and that would have been yeah, a elite that's pick. A good one. Uh, I would have had to have respected that pick and and acknowledged its greatness. But yes, yeah, but the the, th- the thing with the Family Guy chicken though, you know, you gotta you gotta respect his hands. I mean, he he's a fighter, no question. I mean, I, I'd hate I'd hate to go up against that guy in a cockfight. But um, Colton, uh, who, who you got for your last pick here, boss? Yeah, I was between two here, but I've got to go with the owl. I mean, it's iconic. They're up all night, always on the lookout, right? A little yeah. scary. <laughs> Heard them, baby. Rice owls as well. I mean, they're just – you can't tell the story of birds without owls. That's what I would say. That's a fair point. I like that. Um, God, I think I, I won. I wish we could do I wish we could do like five more picks but we'd be here all night. I would have picked hummingbird too. That's a good one. I like hummingbird that. Hummingbird was up there. Just a lot of great birds out there. There's no doubt about that. There are. But you know I what about a woodpecker? Oh, I wanted to pick dodo bird, but they're extinct, so. Yeah. You know what James though? I am the biggest bird. Is that so? Uh, yes. Uh all right. Well, I think that'll just about do it unless you'll have any other Final closing remarks, any comments, any thoughts? Let us know who you think won the draft. I think that was our best draft to date. That was definitely our best draft to date. Um, I will see, for the, for our Spotify listeners, I will see about putting a poll um, below our episode so you can vote there. If not, um, we are actually looking at starting a Twitter account sometime in the near future. Uh, we will certainly post something about that on Instagram, whatever is officially up and running. Um, but until then, please feel free to comment on our next post or, um, just let us know, shoot us a DM and email, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, that'll just about do it for this episode. Um, we, I, pers- I personally had a lot of fun with this, uh, James, we, I, we really appreciate you coming on, had a great time. Hope you had, hope you had fun as well. Um, yeah, make sure yeah. to follow James and the UTSA baseball roadrunner team. We have some high hopes for them and for sure. the Omaha runners are going Omaha, baby. Runs. Yeah, you know, great supporters here with Colton and, and Will. Uh, the Oma Runners trend is starting, heading into 2024. Um, you know, so follow us, definitely. Uh, that would give us a look this year. James, I just want to say I'm so confident in the Oma Runners happening, making it to Omaha this year. I, if you get me an Oma, a, a, um, a UTSA Oma Runners t-shirt, I will wear it on campus here at AM. I'll definitely look into making that happen. Let me see if I can get some Oma Runners shirts produced for, for the fellas. And if anyone wants to give toss bomb any nil deals i can say as his unofficial agent that he would that he would be open (laughs) all right well as i was just saying that'll just about do it for this final or not final for this episode of trouble with the snap we hope you enjoyed please feel free to leave any submissions any comments any thoughts whatnot about the show in our comments or reach out to us um but yeah with that being said thank you so much and we will talk to you soon thank you all